Hey, can I, uh, can I be vulnerable with you guys a little bit this morning? Can I be a little honest? Uh, yeah, uh-oh, right? <laughs> Whenever I come up here and get to speak, man, I am excited. I love getting to come up here and talk to you guys. We love you too, Jake. Yeah, it's great, right? It gets so much fun. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Dad. So it's like so much fun <laughs> to be able to come up here and talk to you guys, right? And like we prepare as a teaching team and we talk through, hey, what encouragement do people need to hear? What does the word of God say? What are some creative things that we can do? And like preparing for this is totally different than students. They heckle me all the time. You guys are so kind, right? So like there's so much that comes into it and we're just excited to get up here. It is so much fun. I look forward to this each and every single time. Except this time. <laughs> yeah, right? See, I recognize that today we are, we're going to cover a topic that um, is difficult. It can be a little uncomfortable. Um, in fact, it actually probably, uh, with the words that the Bible uses, the things that we're going to say, it actually may make a few people angry. And so here's what I want you to do. If you are one of those people that you find yourself getting extremely angry at what happens today, most of us have our email on our phones, Right? So go ahead and pop that open and just use every harsh, creative word that you can. I cannot believe you. How dare you? Why would we even bring somebody from Ohio up here, right? You are just the absolute worst. And send that email to rruble at northpoint with an ecc.org. You just let that guy have it, okay? Because... He's not even here. He went to some game or something like that, right? So you just go ahead and give him everything that you can think of, okay? See, we're going to cover some stuff today that may be uncomfortable. And there'll be a few verses, the way that it's worded, uh, that have been used before to bring a lot of hurt and a lot of pain to people in the past. But I think that if we dive into this this morning, we're going to find out that there really is some great truth that Peter gives that can help us to have some incredible and markedly different lives than the rest of the world. We're working through our Holy, Holy, and Holy series this morning, which is really focusing on uh, First and Second Peter. Now, we know Peter was uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that he was one of the first followers of Jesus. He was part of that core group that got to learn and know from him. And then when Jesus uh, died as a sacrifice and rose again and ascended to heaven, that he sent off uh, Peter and some of his closest friends to, to start the church. And so that's what they've done. They've went all throughout Jerusalem starting the church, and then persecution happened. So it, it did what we call the, the dispora or dispersed the church all throughout the known world at this time. And that is who Peter is writing to. He's writing through the dispersed church all over that's being persecuted, that's going through a struggling time for whatever may be going on in their life. And he's trying to give them encouragement that God is still in control. And trying to help them maximize their life and their circumstances to the glory of God. And where we're at today in 1 Peter chapter 3 is where Peter actually addresses husbands and wives. So if you came here this morning and you're like, yeah, that's not me. I'm not in that phase yet for whatever reason. Like, hang on, stay with us because what we're going to talk about this morning is really good things for you to know, even if you're not yet married. Because it's easier to learn these things beforehand than in the midst of them. And if you're in a season of life where you're like, hey, you know what, I recognize that, man, marriage is really just kind of not in the cards for me in this next phase. Like, we get that too, but this is still good for you because more than likely you are surrounded by people uh, that are married. 
people that you love and, and care about deeply. And so knowing these things gives you the opportunity in your life group and your friend groups and whatever it may be to be an encouragement to those people as well. So hang with us this morning. There is some good stuff we're going to go through, but we're going to jump in here to first Peter chapter three, and we're going to look at the first seven verses. So if you have your North Point app, you can pop that puppy open this morning and follow along with all the, uh, the notes. There's fill-ins. There's some great uh, sermon-based questions that you can fill out along the way. All sorts of great stuff to stay with us here. But we're going to jump into 1 Peter chapter 3, looking at the first verse. And it says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Once again, our ruble at North Point with an ECC.org, right? So there's a word that's used at the very beginning of this passage, right? The word likewise. And likewise is an incredibly, incredibly important word because it's a connector kind of word. It's taking what Peter just talked about, that idea or principle or whatever it is beforehand, and now he's connecting it with what we're getting into today. And if you were here last week, you heard Rick talk about this idea of submission to authority, that that's what Peter was covering right before this passage. And if you missed that, follow along online, North Point app, listen on the way to work. It's really, really good stuff that you can catch there. But submission can be an incredibly tough word for us. Like whenever I think of submission, I go back to being a freshman in high school and I have a brother, he's 13 years older than me. Um, and when I was a freshman, he was uh, bigger than me because I wasn't as, we'll call it muscular as I am today, right? And, and, and for some reason, we wound up wrestling on the floor. Like just, I don't know what happened, I don't know what caused us to be there, but I just know we're, we're on the floor and we're wrestling. And at some point in time, I just remember my brother is sitting on my chest, pushing on it, and he's just going, just tap out, man. Just tap out. Just tap out. Like he's saying it gentle, but nothing of what he is doing is gentle in this moment, right? And in my mind, that's what I go back to with submission. Now, because he's not here, I can tell you that um, I pulled a reversal and punched him in the nose because he can't argue with that. He's not here, right? So there you go. But when I think of submission, that's what I get. It's, this, it's like this forceful Weighing down, you've got no other options, you can't breathe, it's just pushing and pushing and pushing on you. But that's, that's not what the Bible means when it says submission. That's in fact not at all what Peter is talking about here. In fact, if we were to break it down, and Rick covered this some last week, what Peter is talking about here when he says to be subject to or submit, he's actually meaning take a step back. Or literally to place yourself under the authority of. That submission does not have to be a surrender. It doesn't have to be forceful, but rather it is a willing release. It's a willingness to step back or place yourself under the authority of not because you're not good enough, not because you're not worthy, not because you're not important, but rather because you made the decision that placing yourself under the authority of was the absolute right thing to do. And now Peter is taking this idea of submission that we talked about in the past, and he is using that, and he is translating it into the context of marriage now. Now, with this passage, uh, more than, I would say, a lot of others even, uh, we know that context is key. That when we read the Bible, we have to recognize that we are reading a letter that was written 2,000 years ago. So we have to kind of jump into a, a, a time machine and kind of understand what in the world it's talking about. What does it mean in this chapter? What does it mean in this culture? Because context is so important. For example, if you overheard me having a conversation with one of my friends saying, man, I was higher than I've ever been, you might be really confused if you didn't know I was talking about skydiving, right? 
your mind might wander some other places, right? Because we recognize that context is important. And so we have to understand the context of what Peter is trying to get across here. And the reality is he is speaking to two groups of married women in the area of Asia Minor during the first century. He's speaking to both Greco-Roman women and to Jewish women here. Now, a lot of times if you've studied this passage before, you've heard other things on this or about this culture, you would begin to hear things like, hey, women were treated like property. They were disregarded. They weren't loved. They were just knocked to the side. When really that's not completely true. That if we actually go back and we look, we can see all sorts of writings and inscriptions about husbands and fathers that are just incredibly loving to the women in their life. And so this is a culture that indeed did, did have a high regard and love for women, that they did have both these groups of women had some rights. Now, they were, in fact, less rights than men. But they had happy marriages, they had lovely wives, and this was not necessarily a culture that would dehumanize women, but it was a very highly patriarchal culture, and it had indeed some restrictions on what women could and could not do. And so Peter is giving advice here to live submissive, not as a put-down, but to elevate the marriage of a woman who is married to a husband that is not a follower of Christ like she is. And what he is telling her here. By being submissive to make yourself subject to, as he's trying to get her to understand that she has kingdom influence in her marriage. That she can live a markedly different life and have kingdom influence in her marriage. See, the thing is, once again, with context, a wife in this culture having a different religion than her husband was extremely taboo. It would be viewed as insubordinate. She would be looked at as a troublemaker in her marriage. Why would she not worship like her husband? Why does she have to go off on her own way? What is she trying to do? Is she trying to sabotage their marriage? What, what is wrong with this woman? In fact, we know this because we can look at uh, the author Plutarch who wrote this um, in his book, Advice to, to Bride and Groom. It's kind of some premarital stuff. He says this, A wife should not acquire her own friends, but should make her husband's friends her own, right? Some of you ladies are thinking, oh, my husband's friends are morons, right? There's no way, right? And this says, the gods are the first and most significant friends. For this reason, it is proper for a wife to recognize only those gods whom her husband worships. So if you were a Christian and your husband worshiped a Roman god, then you would be viewed as a troublemaker in your marriage, you would be viewed as insubordinate, as having all sorts of issues. They would be talking about you. Uh, you would be on, I don't know, Desperate Housewives of Bethlehem. I don't know what it is, but like they would all just be talking about you constantly for these kinds of things. And that is exactly the reason that Peter takes the time here speaking to these women, telling them to be markedly different than what's expected of them. He's telling them, hey, look, ladies, it already looks bad that you have a different religion than your husband. Now, he's not telling them, hey, you should, you should step back away from this Jesus thing. No, he knows, and he's, he says several times, hey, Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the most important relationship that you have. So, like, that is key. That is important to be able to have. But what you need to recognize is you need to live your life in such a manner that your husband recognizes how good he has it that you are a follower of Jesus. He doesn't tell her that you need to leave, that you need to get out of this relationship and find somebody new. He doesn't tell her to preach at him and, and constantly you know, put Bible verses in his lunchbox all the time or, or blare Christian radio on his alarm clock. He doesn't tell her any of that stuff. Instead, 
He tells her to be submissive with love and grace. And that, in fact, by doing this, you may even attract him to Jesus because he's going to see how markedly different you are. He goes on in verse 3 and 4. He says, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Peter continues on with his mansplaining to the women here, right? And he is now talking about the way that women should present their appearance. Okay, I learned very early in the first, my first year of marriage a valuable lesson. And maybe you're here today and you're, you're newlywed, you're in that new phase. And it, this is worth the price of admission for you guys, okay? When your wife comes up to you and she asks you this question that she is going to ask you, how do I look? All right? I don't care if her hoodie has a stain on it or there are holes in her sweatpants or she has one sandal and a fanny pack on. The answer is very simple, fellas. Good. And when you get better at it, great, beautiful, wonderful. Oh, baby, you are just the greatest thing in the world, right? Because you love her, you married her, she is the most beautiful person in the world to you. That is the right answer, right, ladies? Right. Right, okay, we're on the same page here, right? Write that down, fellas, that's important to know. Here's the thing. What is Peter thinking here? What man in his right mind is going to tell women how they should dress and appear? Seems like a very dumb man to me, right? Like, why in the world does Peter do something this crazy, right? We already established context is important, right? So let's jump into it again. Women in this time would actually braid gold into their hair to be attractive or to be sexy or to be appealing. And it was like this woo kind of thing that was going on at this time. And so Peter is acknowledging that. And, and upper-class women would spend tons and tons of money on all the best and latest cosmetic stuff that they could have, gold brushes or, I don't know, whatever women used back then. I couldn't tell you. I don't even have much hair. So, like, all of these things that they would utilize, and Peter is acknowledging that, and he's trying to contrast the outward beauty that they spent so much time on with an inner beauty that's what really matters. He's not saying that all women should uh, only wear sweatpants and their husband's favorite hoodie from college. Like, ladies, you look beautiful this morning. That is okay. Okay, don't feel bad about that. It's not what Peter is trying to get across here. What he is saying is similar to what Jesus said to the Pharisees time and time again. And that's to stop worrying about others' perceptions of you and keeping up appearances and start focusing on dressing up what's really important, being your heart. Or becoming holy on the inside. See, I literally have a friend that is one of the Joneses. And I mean, like, their last name is Jones, okay? So, like, I have a friend that is one of the Joneses. And they actually have some really good style, like the way their house is decorated, the way they dress. Really cool people. I love to be around them. And I remember one time my buddy came over to our house. It was for dinner or something like that. Uh, dropped his shoes off. We ate. We had a good time. And then as he was leaving, he put his boots back on. And he goes, man, these boots don't fit right. Something's wrong with, with my boots. And I look at it and I said, dude, those are my boots. We got the same boots, right? And I began to think of myself, 
oh, I got some style, all right, like, Joe's got those boots, I got those boots, I'm positive he burned his boots after that, right, but like, in that moment, I was like, this looks good, right, this is kind of cool, like, that felt kind of good, now, the truth is, I love my friend, not because we're boot buddies or anything like that, but I love him because he's got a great heart for Jesus, and he's down in Indianapolis doing some incredible, incredible things for the kingdom, but the truth is, we all, regardless of our gender, play the comparison game, And we believe the better myth. That if we only had the better job, the better car, the better house, the better cottage, the better school district, better kids, a better bank account, a better body, a better degree. When the truth is we better start focusing on our heart. Because none of that is going to make us have a better follower of Jesus. And that's what Peter is trying to emphasize here. He's trying to tell us, man, stop with all of the stuff. Stop with the stuff. It's not going to make you better. But instead, focus on the inside and having a quiet and gentle spirit. Now, this passage has been abused before. And what Peter is not telling women is that they have to just be in the corner. Like, just stay in your place and over there. You'll be okay. Like, that is not what Peter is trying to get across here. That is not what he is trying to say. It doesn't mean that you can't be a strong woman. I come from a family full of strong women. And I guarantee you, if they're watching this, they've already sent an email off to somebody for something I've said because they are that strong. They are fierce. I love them dearly. Peter is not saying that you have to just be quiet and in the corner. You can be exactly who God made you to be. It's about how you treat people. And how you love people and not treat them as obstacles in your life. And when he says things like a quiet spirit here, Peter is talking about this idea of how does a wife react to or speak to or about her husband. So what does that look like here? The question is simply this. Here's the test. How do you talk to and about your spouse? How do you talk to and about your spouse? We are a part of a really fun uh, life group. We love hanging out with our life group. But something happened this last time we got together that, I mean, I've been a part of this a billion times over. And we were having a conversation, and we do as, like, most couples do. The guys were sitting over here talking. The girls were sitting over here talking. I think we were playing with toys. They were probably solving world problems. I'm not sure. But, like, we had these conversations. And I overheard uh, somebody in our life group who was just telling a story about her and her husband. Like, nothing bad. She wasn't being disrespectful in But she did what I feel like happens a lot with married couples when they talk about their spouse. She was saying the story, and then she began to impersonate him. And her impersonation sounded a lot like Fozzie the Bear, right? Like, and then my husband was like, like this big, overly dumb guy kind of thing that happens all the time. And I remember just dying laughing at that time. I'm like, I know him. He doesn't sound like that, right? But we like have these personas and we perceptions. And it's not just women. Like, guys, we do it too, right? We're talking to our friends about our wife. And all of a sudden, she gets like that screechy voice. You know, my wife was just yelling at me. Like, we didn't marry a chicken. Come on, guys. Like, we understand this, right? And most of the time, it's not men in harm. And it's not bad. It's not fun. But the reality is there are plenty of times when we're talking about our spouse to other people that it's not always in a way that is holy or uplifting to them. That sometimes when we get alone with our friends, we begin to pile on. We have this almost this one-upsmanship of, no, my, my husband's word, my wife is word, but she does this, but he does it, and just on and on and on and on. So how do you talk about your spouse? How do you talk to your spouse? Is every single day full of nothing but, but yelling and name-calling or abusive language? Or when you have a conversation with your spouse, are you, are you using manipulative language? Are you looking to find an angle to get what you want? Because that's not a markedly different relationship either. 
And Peter's trying to help us to understand that what you say about and to your spouse should elevate them and never put them down. Even, even if they're wrong, we still have to be gentle and a quiet spirit. He goes on here uh, in verse 5. He says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. See, I use that word in here, Lord. Sarah called her husband Lord. Man, that just might not sit fully right. If we break down the actual language here, this is much more like says that Sarah would be calling Abraham sir. And it's not, not this lordship that he has over here that Peter's trying to convey, but rather it's this idea of respect that she has for him. And she has elevated him to a place where, man, she wants to follow his leadership. It's not ownership, it's leadership that Abraham is able to have. And Sarah's allowed herself to be placed under that authority. And this is an example, man, that would ring home for all the Jewish ladies who heard this because Sarah is like a superstar as the wife of Abraham. That in their faith, they knew all the stories. They grew up on this stuff as kids. They had whatever version of a flannel graph or kids' church that they did, like all these types of things of Sarah and Abraham that they grew up with. So this would be like Peter putting a superstar out there to be like. And even if Sarah does it, man, then you guys can do it too. And they would want to be attracted to that. They would recognize how big this is, that the mother of the Jewish people even placed herself under the authority of her husband. And what's interesting to me is that up to this point, Peter has been addressing the woman of an unbelieving husband. But his example that he gives here is of a woman who is definitely married to a person that knows and follows God. And I think what Peter communicates using this example is that he's showing that having submission or having a gentle and a quiet spirit at living a markedly different life is for all women who claim to be followers of Jesus. That Peter wasn't just trying to give advice here on how to, how to manipulate or, or how to scam your husband into becoming a Christ follower, but rather he is showing exactly what a Christ-following married woman should have a markedly different marriage than the rest of the world. And in this, Peter also urges Christian women not to fear anything that is frightening. Don't fear anything that is frightening. And I think he does this because Peter, Peter gets and recognizes that submission, being submissive, placing yourself under the leadership of your husband can be tough. It's not easy to do, and that it requires you to, to give up some control. And maybe at times even your, your preferences as well, and, and that can be scary. Because what if, what if he doesn't lead well? What if his choices hurt our family? What assurances do I have that like what he says and does and where he takes us is going to work out? Because the reality is, I know I can do a good job, but eh, I ain't so sure about this guy truth is we are all holy h-o-l-e-y holy and we allow and know that it is easy for fear to begin to leak in 
and temptation to, to leak in and, and the, uh, the temptation to control our marriage to leak in. And just like water leaking into a boat, eventually it will sink our marriages. In fact, we're about to see in this very next verse that, man, it wasn't, it wasn't designed that way. That when God designed marriage, he actually designed it to be a partnership. And that a partnership never works out when one person is fearful of their partner or tries to control their partner or tries to manipulate the other. That it is designed for each person to go all in on their roles and in doing so they elevate the other person and they elevate that partnership and when that happens you and your spouse become holy one you become unified as one you grow together as one unit verse 7 says this he says likewise husbands live with your wives In an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. See, here's the thing, husband. We've only got one verse out of these seven, but there's a ton in this verse. And the truth is, it is incredibly difficult for us right here. See, Peter uses that likewise word again, just like he did beforehand. And when he used it earlier, he was connecting to this idea of submission. And when he uses it here, guess what? He's connecting it to an idea of submission. Now, husbands, this doesn't mean that we, we place ourselves under the authority of our wives, where we're just kind of going, me, you, 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 right? Like, and doing this whole thing. But rather, what he is telling us is that husbands, we have to submit as well. Only our submission is to the needs, the fears, and the feelings of our wives, Catch that. Husbands, your submission comes to the needs, the fears, and the feelings of your wife. That when Peter puts out here and he says, uh, to live with your wife in an understanding way, that literally means living with one's wife knowledgeably. I'm not sure that's a word, but we're trying it. Knowledgeably, right? Now, if, if you're like me, you hear that and you're like, oh, I know my woman. I got this, Right? Like, we feel confident, like, Tarzan, bah, right? Like, we got this, man. We know. We got our wife. We're good at this. It's all good. We know everything. I'm going to give a test for us this morning, all right, husbands? We're going to give you a test to see if you are somebody who needs to spend more time studying your wife. Fellas, every, every guy in here, do me a favor. Raise your left hand right now. Uh-huh. If there is a ring on the finger next to your pinky, it is time to go to school, Okay. You hear me? It is time to go to school. All right. Now, this is where I'm getting a whole other set of emails from the women now. Like, oh, yeah, hey, you can stick around a little longer. This is okay. Not too bad. I'll give them another week, right? Here's the thing, husbands. We have to constantly study our wives. Why? Why? Because they are complex. They are changing And they are wired so dramatically different than us that they just don't fit into one of our little compartmentalized boxes, right? Like we know man's brain, woman's brain. Actually, man, we don't know women's brain, but we, we've heard about women's brain before, right? But for like man's brain, we've got all these compartments, right? We've got like work stuff, family stuff, football stuff, food stuff. Like we've got all these compartments that we can fit everything into. But your wife doesn't fit in the one compartment. She is way too amazing for that. 
She is way too complex. She is way too changing. She is way too wonderful to just go, here's your spot. It doesn't work that way. And you might be thinking, yeah, but Jake, man, that, that sounds like that takes some work. <laughs> Let me help you out. Man up. Man up. Simple as that. You and I weren't created, fellas, to be afraid of work. We were designed to accept challenges. We were designed to adapt. We were designed to overcome. We were designed to lead. If you are to be the head of your household, if you're going to be the king of your domain, you've got to understand the queen that is standing right next to you. And you've got to study her to do so. So here's the thing, fellas. When we present something, when we... We teach something, when we fix something, when we sell something at our job, man, we are good at it. We are great at doing that because we know all about it. We've taken the time to learn about that product or that machine or that subject. We've invested in it. We know all the ins and outs about it. We can tell everything that there is. And if you are to be a great leader in your home, then you have to know all about her, including her needs, her fears, and her feelings. And in doing so, you are going to be a markedly different husband than what you see on TV or what you see in the office, or what you see with other guys. And in reality, then your marriage will become a markedly different marriage. And the way that your wife follows you will be markedly different in the best ways possible. Peter says something here in this verse that has been uh, manipulated, that has been abused. And when we read it, it probably made your gut go, ooh, Peter, what are you thinking on that one, man? He used a, a phrase here, weaker vessel. Weaker vessel. And there's something about that that, man, just God, usually doesn't sit right. Something doesn't feel right about that. And I think Peter is trying to get to two things here. I think, number one, uh, Peter's trying to point out that women as a whole are, are physically not as strong as men. And the problem with that is that too many men have taken advantage of that through uh, rape and abuse and treating women like property. And Peter condemns that by saying husbands should treat their wives with honor, not take advantage or harm, but honor them because they are heirs with you to the grace of life. In other words, husbands, elevate your wives as partners and never take advantage of your ability to harm them. And then we already covered the other idea that while women at this time had some rights, they still didn't have as many rights as men, putting them at a weaker or, or a disadvantaged place. And Peter is urging husbands here, man, recognize that they, yet you have, as a husband, as a man, advantages in this culture that your wife does not. This was true then, and it still holds some truth to us today. So husbands, honor your wives and elevate their needs, elevate their fears, elevate their feelings. Why do we do all this, guys? Husbands, why do we, why do, we do all this? Why study your wife? Why elevate and honor your wife? Verse tells us, so that your prayers may not be hindered. 
Meaning that there is a spiritual ramification to leading well or leading poor as a husband. That being a holy husband, a husband that allows things to leak in, that allows arrogance, laziness, or poor leadership to leak into your marriage, puts a barrier up between your relationship, not only with your wife, but between you and God as well. How you lead as a husband is a reflection of that relationship that you have with God. You lead better as a husband when your relationship with God is what the driving factor is in your life. Not sex, not power, not your hobbies, not your alone time. But you were designed and commissioned to lead from the outflowing of your relationship with God. To be an example to Jesus to your family. So then what do we do with this, guys? What do we do? What do we take home from all this? I think it's this. I think it's to be a markedly different husband. That you live a life worthy of the honor that your wife gives you. And you elevate her in all things by studying her and leading her. And and wives, you need to be a markedly different wife. Speak highly to and about your husband with an inner beauty that permeates the gospel to everybody you come into contact with. And when we're able to do those things, we begin to have a markedly different marriage. Let's pray and ask God for that right now. God, we come to you as... uh, as holy people, as people that allow things to leak into our life, Lord, and have allowed things to leak into our marriage, Father, whether it's, uh, it's a fear of, of control or losing out, Lord, or, or, or just a lack of trust to our spouse, Father, or, or a laziness to not step up and do the things that you've called us to do. So, God, first of all, we just ask your forgiveness for that. And, God, we pray, Lord, that out of the outflowing of of our relationship with you, Lord, that we would take these roles, Lord, that we would take what you design and what you put together, Father, and we wouldn't look at it as something that's that's a put-down or something that's a negative, Father, but we would look at it as an opportunity to get to know and grow with our spouse better than before, to have a markedly different marriage, Lord, so when the rest of the world sees what we have, Father, they begin to be attracted to you. That you and your son would be the core of our relationships, that we would be driven to know you more and spread your love to others. God, we give you all of us because we love you and we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.